0: it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 16 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donna Tiernan, watched the 1974 John Borman film, Jardage, and the 1981 Terry Gilliam film, Time Bandits. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out justwatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Enjoy! Yeah, so so we fire into Let's them? Let's fire into them. So your pick from last week was John Borman's ambitious 1974 sci-fi effort, Zardoz, starring Sean Connery and Charlotte Rampling. This is the second John Burman film we've watched mm. after 1967's Point Blank. And now I'm guessing we've both, we've both seen Deliverance,
1: right? We have. Uh, of course. I've seen and one, what other one, of his films have you seen? I've seen the Jet Excalibur, I guess. I have not seen Excalibur. I really want to at some point because I like his movies. I think I
0: might have watched Excalibur when I was a kid. I've seen um,
1: Hope and Glory and I've seen ah. The General. Have you ever seen The General?
0: Is, are, are either of those about Ireland?
1: Yes. The General is about Ireland. The General, yeah. I vaguely recall something. Would like you like that, to hear a bit I of John Borman, it. The General trivia? Sure. So there, the the general is a, a is based on Martin Cahill, who's an Irish figure who is nowhere near so jovial as Brendan Gleeson plays him in the movie. But anyway, oh nice Brendan Gleeson. Um, he would he he robbed John Borman's house, which is how John Borman came to make the movie. <laughs> and there is a scene. Who was he? Is is he like was he an IRA guy or something? He had connections to the IRA. In the end, it's supposed that the IRA actually killed him. Um, ah, okay. But uh, he robbed John Borman's house, and in one scene in the film, he takes, a, he robs a gold disc from a house, takes it back, and realizes, opens it up in his own house, realizes it's not made of gold, and just breaks it easily in two. That was the gold disc that John Borman got for the banjo solo from Deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> got robbed from his house in well, Dublin. A, a,
0: jo- at least that was the only deliverance related thing that happened to him it could have been a lot more it could have been a lot worse than squealing like a pig etc
1: john Borman settled in ireland though he lived there most of his life
0: how is he viewed in Ireland? Is he because, I mean, he's English, but then he moved to Ireland and then uh, seems to, I mean, did he take Irish citizenship or something?
1: He did, yeah, um, much like John Houston before him. Uh, Irish people have a tendency to, we like it when people like Ireland and yeah, come to live here. Sure. We don't like it when um, British people say Irish bands are English and stuff like that. Um, like, like who? Uh, they'll claim people like uh, Snow Patrol. Which I would be glad to see. <laughs> I would, but I would take those
0: as—I mean, Snow Patrol. You could argue because they formed at university in Scotland. You could also—they're from Northern
1: Ireland, weren't they? Not all right. Let me. Let, do you want to go down this road? <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you want? They're British. <laughs> they're proud Brits.
1: <laughs> because it's like it, it's all—it all gets so mixed up because so many like famous Irish footballers throughout the ages have English accents that you can't ignore. You know. What about all the English guys who played for the Irish national team? That's what I'm referring to. We did
0: the same thing the, in Scotland. Ah, okay, uh, all right. All
1: right. I put like, I mean, like for example, uh, how many times have you heard Andy Murray claimed as English? It's just a thing that happens, I suppose. I
0: don't know. It's usually British when he wins, Scottish when he loses. Yeah, that's the the classic fucking
1: Scottish loser. Anyway, uh, yep. yeah, we took John Borman on as our son. Uh, big
0: johnny boors which is i i'm actually way more familiar with john Borman's son charlie Borman from the motorbike journeys that he did with you and mcgregor did you ever watch those i have yeah i have I,
1: i just haven't watched i haven't watched the newest one um i really enjoyed those uh I I Yeah, me too. I actually I went
0: it was a good insight into their personalities.
1: I went back and watched the I don't know whatever one takes them through Kazakhstan like last year. Yeah, and, that's
0: a long way around.
1: And it's 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 still like enjoyable viewing. I mean, it,
0: Yeah, definitely. It, it's it's hardcore some of the riding they're doing. I mean, they're just out in the middle of nowhere, right, riding on the road of bones in East Russia. Mm. It's
1: crazy. It is, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, and that, and they travel those routes, so I don't have to. Essentially, I've seen the world now. Exactly.
0: You can watch it. You just watch a nice little
1: video. This is it. Um,
0: anyway, back to Zardos. Tell us
1: more about Zardos.
0: So Zardos came fresh off the heels of 1972's Deliverance, an Oscar-nominated film which made 42 million dollars from a two million budget at Warner Brothers, basically giving Borman carte blanche to get a bit crazy in his next project
1: and do you not respect Uh, how crazy he got
0: yeah uh, he certainly he was he he was out there he was out there uh the lead role in zardos was originally supposed to be
1: oh don't i i I can't recall sorry burt reynolds ah and why didn't he go for it
0: Uh, he dropped out due to illness and was replaced by sean connery the week before filming began
1: Sean Connery gives gives a very Burt Reynolds performance in this, although I, I'll say, <laughs> I thought he gave a very Sean Connery performance as well, of
0: the smug look on his face as uh, women are looking at his primitive <laughs>
1: body. But that's, that's that's Burt Reynolds, essentially, <laughs> as with well, with a smirk. Why is that?
0: I see it more as Sean Connery because Sean Connery, obviously being from Edinburgh, he's uh, a real hero to us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, he's living the dream, going around the world romancing ladies trying to be james bond Uh, yeah and that's that's what we all aspire to and smirking
1: here's the thing is that like i this is more a note that i suppose i made for time bandits which you'll come to later of course but i do like i do think sean connery can act i think he's a good actor on occasion in that kind of 70s like you know getting by on your own charisma kind of way but he's got as many Phoned in performances as not, and Zardos mm. is interesting in that because I I feel like uh, fucking Zardos. <laughs> I'm doing Zardos next week. I I feel like I don't know. The first part of it is phoned in, and then he kind of gets into it a little bit. His perf- <laughs> he
0: get he gets into it when women start getting naked and touching his body. There was a. Did you read any of that about there was um, supposedly. He was quite handsy. He had something written into his his contract where sex scenes had to last longer than usual.
1: No, I did not. But there were no sex scenes. But because scenes. it was Sean Connery, well,
0: there was definitely, I mean the he does try to he try he rapes a lady at one point that we witness. Oh, there's yeah, there's a couple that's of right. other things. There was definitely I mean I read a couple of other things like but the general tone was like, well, if it was someone else, they might have had a problem with it. But like Charlotte Rampling supposedly was really looking forward to her sex scene with uh, Sean.
1: Are you making that up?
0: No, genuinely, that's trivia. Like she was supposedly like, Rrr. she was she was around 28 at the time. <laughs> and she was supposedly well up for it with Sean Connery. Uh, who wouldn't 70s. be, to be fair, because he was... A hot piece of ass. He was a hot piece of the of Robert ass. Redford ilk.
1: That's one of the things John Borman said about the costume. He said, uh, "I don't like." A, um, it, I'm paraphrasing here, but I said, "I don't think you anybody would mind dressing up in a costume such as that if we were such a hot piece of ass as Sean Connery."
0: mm Hmm i like the other trivia that i read about a potential lead actor that uh, john Borman offered the lead role of zed to richard harris and harris never responded <laughs>
1: <laughs> i heard all th- i heard fuck you i heard also lee marvin which would have been great
0: oh my god i can't imagine lee marvin in 1972
1: wearing a nappy oh go on so, yeah,
0: so uh, Sean Connery was going through a bit of a lull in his career post-Diamonds Are Forever, and the studio got him on board for a $200,000 fee. Nice. The film was shot in County Wicklow, Ar- Ireland, and the majority of the extras featured were from the Irish traveling community. It was reported that Stanley Kubrick was an uncredited technical advisor in the film as he was shooting Barry Lyndon in Wicklow at the same time. mm for both productions, it was difficult to obtain guns for filming due to the ban on rifles imposed because of IRA activity. Yeah, Goddamn that's IRA right. And messing with films. Borman
1: managed to make a contact within the IRA and then uh, told his studio that he was going to either get the guns from them or he was going to get them from the IRA, so his studio managed to get the guns into the country from.
0: True story. Speaking of the IRA, Zardoz was made at 20th Century Fox for a budget of $1.57 million. How much do you think it made?
1: Uh, I think it made just slightly above that. I think it just about made a profit. Mm. Yeah,
0: 1.87 million. A bigger bomb than the IRA ever (laughs) produced.
1: Oh, -oh. what's
0: up? Oi. Up the raw. Okay, uh, the film (laughs) stands... Wait, if I make any comment, if there's any Irish person listening to this, I apologize. I make comments like this. I have no idea what
1: I'm saying. <laughs> no, but no, no, any of the I, any of the Irish listeners, uh, my mo- my mother numbers among them actually. So you might hear me swearing less on this episode. Um, okay, uh, we'll just you know, I mean, they'll raise a a fist in in unison once you say when you say up the ra. Yeah. Perfect. Yes, yes, indeed, good. Irish listeners, up the ra. Yep, good. So the
0: film starts with an introduction which Fox studio execs forced Borman to shoot to help the audience understand the film.
1: Is that that, where that comes mm -hmm. from?
0: Yeah. A man with a dodgy drawn-on moustache explains that he's a 300-year-old wizard called Arthur Frayne, and that in this story he pretends to be a god. First question, did the studio fuck up
1: here? Um... (laughs) Well, like...
0: It feels uh, very handholdy. Well, it's, was that it, necessary in 1974?
1: Well, it's also kind of... Well, okay. So if they were going to be handholdy, they could have at least make him be a bit more fucking clear with what he was saying. Because, I mean, it starts off when he explains the plot, but then it goes into all sorts of, like, the medium and the message uh, 70s odd postmodern philosophy jargon. And yeah. uh, you kind of like what? What am I? What like? Because he's addressing the audience directly, and he goes, "Oh, maybe I'm. You know, it's it, I, like it, <laughs> maybe I'm like I'm gone. Is this real? Like he basically. It, it reminded me of if you ever played like um, Metal Gear Solid, and they're going for this ultimate reality uh, kind of thing, and then uh, the command.
0: There are elements of this that remind me of his games. What's his name? Hideo Kojima, and I really dislike. All of the games that he made. I don't like Metal
1: Gear Solid storytelling. I don't like Death Stranding story. I'm only familiar with Metal Gear Solid. But anyway, what I was referring to is there's a part like in the, even when as you're playing the first one, you know, you're on the radio to your commander, and then it'll go, "If you want to climb a, a wall, press O." And there's, you know, it's like anyway. <laughs>
0: so you don't like the you don't like the meta element. What <laughs> that like? you're watching a film Pretty m- and I have a moustache.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't have a moustache. He's quite clearly drawn on, which was an odd... He's drawn on.
0: Yeah, he's got drawn on uh,
1: facial Which oil. was an odd move as well. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, like, of all the studio notes to give, that's a kind of a confusing one because you say it feels handholdy. imagine how worried they were you say it feels hand-holdy I just think it feels fucking
0: weird yes I would put it in the well it's just unnecessary and I think it detracts overall from
1: the film yes uh, okay I'm going to qu- just quick what did you think of the film overall I
0: liked it way more than Logan's run I think it's a lot better
1: yes yes it is uh, I
0: didn't mind it at all no, no. I I think it's had uh, it's. I mean, typical John Borman. It's uh, like thinking back to Point Blank. It's a lot more interesting imagery. Yeah. It's obviously better shot. Yeah, yeah. He's just a better. The filmmaker. story's interesting. I um. I, this is something I I came across um, a Wired article. I found an article on Wired.com mm. titled "Darren Aronofsky Makes Sequel to Zardoz Huh? Can you guess what it was about?
1: no, no. no I cannot. It was a negative
0: review of The Fountain. Huh? And uh, so that was like in 2006. These reviews were coming out claiming that the fountain was s- similar to Zardoz, and I could see how Arno- cause, cause Aronofsky has gone down that road further and further. We both mentioned in another episode how we dislike Mother. Yeah. I happen to really I like the Fountain. Me too. I, think that I really enjoy the Fountain, uh, and, and I watched I that seen just Noah. But yeah. I get the feeling that Noah probably goes in similar territory.
1: Noah's an odd one, uh, it, it, Noah. It, uh, I don't know. I'm sh- it, because it's Aronofsky. I feel everything he does is self assured. To be honest, but uh, Noah feels like mm-hmm. a very muddled picture. Having said that, because uh, it it really really goes for the Bible story and tries to stick to that as mm-hmm. much as possible. But then it wants to do the, it wants to have its cake and eat it with the kind of a Roland Emmerich sort of a post-apocalyptic e- epic CGI fuckfest kind of a thing, which is odd. Uh, CGI fuck fest. Anyway, no, 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 I'm glad that you said that because I, I yeah, enjoyed so this way I more like than the, I thought I would.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the imagery, the ideas are are far more interesting. I think it's, uh, it's a well-crafted film. Mm. Although, well, I just I think it I think it's a lot better. I think it's probably been it's turned into a bit of a cult hit. There, uh, I saw some of the fans of it include uh, Ben Ben Wheatley. Yeah, Ben Wheatley likes it. Yeah, um, uh, and it was also it was parodied in the first season of Rick and Morty as well.
1: Oh, oh I, they had
0: a big flying head
1: and everything. Oh, I can't recall that. I am. Um, yeah, no,
0: I was in like one of the. I think it's episode seven.
1: I think it's a case as well of if Borman blinked, like the whole thing would fall apart, but his other like kind of commitment to the madness is a film's big strength because I mean, like I, like he's such a, you know, He's just a a good filmmaker like like he's he's he, he knows his craft quite well. So but like if he blinked or if just if there's one wrong movement of the camera you would notice that all the costumes are paper <laughs> like you like mm-hmm. but it it just holds it together well, you know the anyway, let's continue with the story sure.
0: Yeah, so next we see a big stone head flying through the sky while a group of warriors on horses known as exterminators shout Zardals. Zardoz! Sorry zardoz zardoz it turns out is a god to these people who are they're exterminators but they're also brutals as zardoz the big stone head then gives a speech which it line which aligns exactly uh with my political views the gun is good the penis is evil, is evil. Which uh, that's that's my new ringtone. Or when I heard that, I knew that this film was going to be at the very least entertaining.
1: Oh my god, yeah, but like, right i I have heard um, I have heard that Sean Connery, when he like like getting the script for this, actually like was blown away and like really interested to do the film. The penis is evil, and like yeah, there, there's later reference to the penis. There's a whole PowerPoint presentation about boners.
0: Oh yeah, don't worry, we'll we'll get to that. We we'll, we'll, we'll get to that audio. Clip.
1: And like I like I've already said, like if Borman even let his tongue go slightly into his cheek for this film, but it's so straight faced. That I you have to it's straight <laughs> it, like it's mad it like um of course the the penis is evil reminded me of Tom Cruise's opening um monologue <laughs> in, Ma- in magnolia yeah, um go on anyway, where are we next? <laughs>
0: uh this, the Stonehead starts spewing out guns for the tribal warrior uh people before we see our hero Zed holding one, which he points to the camera before pulling the trigger like a futuristic James Bond it's Zardoz baby. <laughs>
1: I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, Zed, Zed, who for the rest of this summary I'll be referring to as Sean Connery. That's that's fair. Uh, wakes up wakes up inside the giant head. He confronts Arthur Frayne, the, the wizard from the introduction, and busts a cap in his shoulder before Frayne falls to his death. Mm. The stone head then lands near a farm. Um, so the costumes, it should be pointed out at this time, that the late Sir Sean, much like all the other brutals, is wearing what has been uh, perhaps cruelly described as a red nappy uh, with black knee-high leather boots and two belts strapped over his nipples. He also has what Kent Brockman in The Simpsons calls a Class 9 or Robin Williams level of body hair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I <laughs> does he have a hairy back? <laughs> he seems to have a hairy back.
0: I was so focused on the front, I don't know if I paid enough attention to his back, but I can imagine. I mean his forearms are just mad. Mm. Now when his his hands are hairy. When it was nineteen seventy four.
1: Yeah, when men were men, you know.
0: Yes, I have a a little hair there, here or there, perhaps.
1: Yeah, some, uh, some, I'm
0: going to keep doing that.
1: <laughs> sometimes the, the the conversation is over and the woman hasn't yet realised that.
0: Okay, okay, okay. Let's let's move away from that, Connery.
1: And, uh, right, right. Uh,
0: so, after snooping around the farm a little, finding an artificial intelligence known as the Tabernacle, Connery runs into the two main female characters, May, played by Sarah Kestelman, who wants to study him, and Consuela, played by Charlotte Rampling, who wants to kill him, among
1: other let's things. Let's backtrack a little bit. Uh... Yeah, the tabernacle as a piece of t- technology in this low budget nonsense. Pretty cool in
0: 1974, and
1: how they how they achieved it in t- like visually in terms of the film. Mm, I have like a mini projector. Fucking, I was I was really impressed by that. I thought, Jesus Christ, mm. like because um, st- like uh, that would it, be a good thing to have now, like a, a ring projector. But I mean, it's pretty much it's Siri or Google or whatever. That's what they have. Yeah. Uh, I it's mad that like the amount of uh, false, silly predictions that were made about the future, and this is almost on the money with that thing and how it ended up controlling Mm. people in a weird way. That like, honestly, I was just blown away by that. Um, and this another uh, big fan of the film was uh, apparently Stanley Kubrick and Steve Jobs. Just (laughs) kidding.
0: Uh, Stanley Kubrick,
1: Kubrick, and he was just... Well, he was a
0: technical advisor.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he was just mad quizzical on how the hell uh, Borman made it for... such a a low budget 1.5 million like the the low budget is down to decisions like this and who like back in the 70s clearly nobody had any foresight that um technology would end up being so minimalist as that ring is an almost realistic depiction of where it would go the projector thing is off fair enough but uh, not that far off it's bananas Um and it I would imagine like had Borman had a higher budget, he would have made it look more gaudy and seventies-esque, like a fucking big tape recorder or mm-hmm. something like that. Sorry, mum. Um right. But uh yeah, it just really did did very, very well with that. Um it's just aged fantastically, that particular scene. Anyway, go on.
0: Yeah. So they lie him down on a big black table in what is some sort of chamber for regenerating bodies. As Sean lies down with his hands behind his head, looking very pleased with himself, we watch some of his memories of hunting and murdering murdering people and also committing rape.
1: Yes, he rapes a lady in a net. Mm -hmm.
0: The members in a net. The members of this farm community known as a vortex reveal themselves to be Eternals. They are intrigued by Sir Sean's primitive Fountain Bridge ways. That's a shout out to the neighborhood he came from in Edinburgh. (laughs) uh sean is taken on as a helper monkey by one of the eternals who is rather confusingly called friend mm-hmm. friend is less than enthralled with life as an eternal and it is revealed that in the society there's no death any transgressions are punished with forced aging the people who are rejected from society are forced to live together as renegades, starring uh, uh, what's his name, Lorenzo Lamas. Uh, another group of people called apathetics live in a constant catatonic state. They're in a wedding. It's making all
1: kinds of comments. Oh yes, indeed. About society. Let's talk about the comments a little bit. Well, mm. uh, well, no, let's. First of all, I'd like to say that you know your man friend. His attitude to the. Friend, oh. Oh, sawdust <laughs> oh, so friend. friend. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that brilliant show. I must watch that again. Nice little crisp uh, in betweeners reference from Andy Ritchie there, folks. Mm. Um, you know, but uh, I thought uh, Friend's attitude to the uh, Tabernacle Ring uh, completely reflects my own to any, you know, voice searching technology. There's a scene in it where he's just shouting at it, calling it a <laughs> moron and stuff like that. Like, the amount, like, honestly, I was walking down a, a road in Madrid here the other day, myself and uh, we, Belen, we were trying to f- figure out where there was a good um, a good bakery, just a bakery, we needed to buy bread for lunch. And uh, they were giving me uh, the address of a bakery in Marbella. And it was so stupid, but like, because I'm talking to a machine, but I literally made the point, like I was arguing with a human. I was like, no, Siri, no, 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 back up, back up. Could you please tell me why the fuck you gave me a bakery in Marbella? Here's a list of bakeries nearby, and it's, I don't want to know the name of a bakery anymore, Siri. I want to know why you told me about one in Marbella. So, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 having then watched uh, Zardos later that day, I realized, oh my god, I'm friend.
0: We're living in Zardos, man. I d- it does feel like a lot of. I mean, how society has progressed in this matriarchy. It's the matriarchy, people. I feel like it has perhaps more relevance now. It seems like it kind of, yeah. Predicted social media to an extent, which is scary.
1: Uh, yeah, um, and it like ah, I love when you just come across a, a filmmaker who's just a, a real sort of a a true artist and, com- and committed to, and they come in all shapes and sizes. Like I think Christopher McQuarrie, uh, who makes the Mission Impossible movies, is sort of a true artist in a similar way. But somebody who's just got an idea and sort of believes in it enough to not blink while they're making it. And like Zardos is just filled with stuff like this that, you know, it, it, anybody in their right mind would just chuck it in the bin Really, because they mm-hmm. wouldn't have the faith in the whole thing together. But like, it all does hang together. Even like, and especially like, if you're like, you know, I've heard people um, mock this in its different parts, and so like, people go, "Oh yeah," and then the, you've got the a wedding full of old people that seems to be going on forever. But in the context of the allegories he's assembling, it actually that makes actually a lot of sense that they would just put mm-hmm. put, put just. Deem people to madness because those are your two choices if you yeah. don't accept society's norms is apathy or madness it's good
0: yeah yeah it's uh, it's it's that's uh, it feels like the world that we're living in right now anyway mm. later on consuela explains that their society has managed to overcome the great evil uh that was the penis and uh she explains that here Penic erection was one of the many unsolved evolutionary mysteries surrounding sexuality. Every society had an elaborate subculture devoted to erotic stimulation, but nobody could quite determine how this becomes this. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> so yeah, penic Is, isn't that the adjective? Penic.
1: Apparently, it's the type of erection. Yeah, it's a peonic, penic. Penic. Penic erection.
0: Mm, okay. They show Sean some nudie film clips, but he ends up getting an erection from looking at a fully clothed Charlotte Rampling. Best scene of the film, of course, which is of course the highest form of compliment in any
1: culture. Of course, yeah. Look what you <laughs> look what you've done to me. Look, look what you made me do. Uh, look what you've done to me. D- uh, Ridiculous.
0: <laughs> in a following scene, the Eternals take a vote at a meal of whether or not to kill Zed friend refuses to join their hive mind meditation and is instead cast out as a renegade. Here is a here is a short clip of that scene.
1: The vortex is an obscenity. I know. I hate all women. Nice. Uh. The second level meditation scenes, they, they're like no, <laughs> they're like no, I won't join you. Still, yeah, yeah, they it might, it might have lost no. me a little bit. Uh, uh, the, I think about about an hour and a quarter in, um, it might have started to outstay no. it's, its welcome for me a little bit. Uh, I was just kind of like
0: that. the 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 meditation scene has big sort of wanky middle class yoga retreat energy because they're all standing around a table going ah! like it looks like amateur dramatics time. Yeah, and I think that was a
1: mistake. Yes, I do too and they do it twice in the film and I, I didn't like it either time. <sighs> and it, it's it's it, it, in a, one of the things that really helps the film out like uh, out of its own shadow, let's say, is the fact that all the actors seem so committed to it that you, that helps you believe mm. in it even more. Um, but yeah, then uh, then that scene is just yeah, it is. It's like amateur dramatics hour. It's just it just seems odd and unnecessary.
0: Yeah, all the actors are fully into it, but I feel like Sean Connery is just wandering around, going like, "What the fuck is going on here?" <laughs> like, because he just he was he brought in last minute. Yeah. Yeah, but, he just seems to be strolling through it.
1: But at the same time, I do like. I feel like he was somewhere between. Like, I feel like he's more committed in this than he was in Time Bandits.
0: Yeah, but Time Bandits is just a little cameo anyway. Mm. So if that just seemed like uh, we'll take, will fly you out somewhere warm. I assume it's in Africa. God to
1: have been Sean Connery, <laughs> like it's you know those actors that like kind of have that career where we want you to show up and be Sean Connery. Like, Jack Black has that, but he's got to put a lot of work into being Jack Black. Yeah. Sean Connery could... Also, I mean, just to say, I don't... I mean, I respect Jack Black,
0: but I'd say physically, I don't know if he's quite in the same league as uh,
1: Sean. That's the Edinburghger in you talking there, Andy. Mm, Yeah, I am definitely biased towards Sean Connery. Jack Black is beautiful.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree, but in a competition... With Sean Connery, I'm sorry.
1: I would like to see Sean Connery like beating up Jack Black outside a bar. I would like to see that now, certainly, Yeah, yeah.
0: post-mortem. Uh, anyway, so uh, we then get the big reveal that you spoiled for me last week.
1: I didn't know it was a big uh, reveal when I said it. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> it turns out that Zed was genetically engineered to be a superior specimen uh, from Edinburgh. He was also taught to read by a mysterious figure. We see scenes of him reading a number of books until after reading a certain book, he goes mental, and that book is The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. As Zardoz is revealed to be a fictional god, the reveal is shown by covering some of the letters of Wizard of Oz. Yes. To get Zardoz. Also, I'd like to... cool, Not not cool runnings from last week.
1: I'd like to point out that uh, in his learning montage, he's also, for some inexplicable reason, learning Irish Gaelic.
0: Mm, well, it's probably what they had around. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because it was uh, because it
0: was an Irish library,
1: something like that. Yeah, but anyway, that's what he's. That's what he's. And heard. that all the
0: scenes where they filmed around that with the the like burn type buildings, that was just how they were. That's, that's just oh, how that's Ireland. Irish time. It's actually like. my neighbor's yeah, house. It just Ireland,
1: yeah.
0: right? That's that's what will happen. Uh, the the reveal wasn't as cringy as I had feared, but uh, maybe because you gave me a few, you gave me some time to get to kind of. Steal myself mentally.
1: I mean, they're going for a kind um, of a, what would become known as a Kaiser Soze moment. No, a Kaiser Soze. That's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. It was a Kaiser Zardoz. A Kaiser Zardoz. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, mm-hmm. then it's time for him to fucking rain chaos back in the vortex.
0: Yeah. I, I I've summarized the final forty minutes of the film in about three or four sentences. Oh, excellent. Here we so go. You can you, you can stop me. Okay. So in the final section of the film. Uh, so sean destroys the tabernacle his band of exterminators enter the vortex and kill all the eternals who are delighted and welcome death sean runs away with consuela and gets her pregnant they have a kid they grow all together and die all that remains in the end is their bones and sean's big gun Zed's dead baby Zed's dead
1: nice there we go nice Uh, Yeah, that's a respectable uh, summary there. I would like to include just a couple of minor additions. Um, So Charlotte Rampling is leading her big lynch mob against uh, Zed, against Sean Connery. She also
0: gets the lads out at some point. She she does get the lads out. Uh,
1: She's trying to find him. She's leading a, a lynch mob for Sean Connery almost. And then by the time she finds him, she realizes that all the time, she was just getting randy for a bit of Sean Connery, um, yeah.
0: So when she was pretending that she wanted, she thought she wanted to kill him, but in reality, it was just she's just like all the like James Bond baddies. So, that so Sean Connery shanked
1: all the like basically all the people that were following her and her lynch mob were unknowingly just walking in her snail trail.
0: So you're saying anyone who um, hates a penis secretly loves it? That's
1: what I might be getting at. You think you hate the penis, mm. but you respect the, the cock and mm. tame. Thank you, Mister Cruz. Tame the mm. cunt. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. Mum. But it is, sorry, it, it is a quote from Magnolia. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I would like uh, a little story of trivia. Um, the end uh, montage, so where you see them, uh, Charlotte Rampling giving birth in a forest, and then mm. uh, she's got the lads out there.
0: Which, to be fair, that is the that was just um, that was an Irish hospital, correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah, yeah it was just an Irish hospital. That was a state was, of
0: the art Irish hospital.
1: That's correct. I was born in that hospital. Actually, that was my piece of trivia. <laughs> uh, next piece of okay. trivia uh, was that. So they've got heavily prosthetic Charlotte Rampling and uh, Sean Connery. Going all together in a little montage that is also very well summed up in a French animation film called The Red Turtle that was released a few years ago. But anyway, um, mm. they had to, that took an entire day, that sequence, um, because of prosthetics and so forth. And they had to... Because Sean Connery kept bothering all the young ladies while they were filming. Hey, hey, stop interrupting. This story involves Sean Connery attacking a crew member. Okay, go. All right. Oh, brilliant! So, Continue. so there you are. So, uh, the first day, uh, the first day when they got it shot, they figured actually, don't know, the prosthetics were weren't quite right in it, so they rejigged the last bit and left out a certain section because they basically decided to, yeah, cut out one section of the prosthetics. So they had to do it one more time, and Sean Connery was like, "Okay, I can accept that." Uh, and then John Borman found out at the rap party. That the, guy, the ca- guy who was processing the film had exposed it all by accidentally and they had to shoot oh, it one more funny. time. And yeah, yeah, you don't do that to Sean Connery. <laughs> so Sean, Con- Sean Connery thumped him at the rap party.
0: <laughs> That's why Sean Connery quit, because I think when he made that uh, League of yeah, Extraordinary yeah. Gentlemen in 2003, I think he went mental. It, uh what's his name, Stephen Summers, the director. And I think that soured as he was aging. He's like, fuck this.
1: Yeah. I mean, no more. Like, I, I can, I can kind of get that. I mean, do, yeah. Does Sean Connery need to do it anymore? Does he want to? No, no, no. Well, I mean, he's dead. But like, did he? Like, he did. Well, I mean, he might want to do it now. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Preferable. That's death. true. It all gets very Monty Python for a finish. That that uh, montage of skeletons and so forth. Well, that felt more almost like
0: the Fountain or something to me.
1: Oh, the NC... Well, the NC... What, the, when, all, yeah, when all the, the, the plants like grow into... Yeah, part, part of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, But, like, I
0: mean... <laughs> what, like, God,
1: critics are such shitbags, aren't they? Like, saying the phone... Found- yeah, why did people hate this film so much? Well, I, like, I think it was an obvious and a fun one to give a kicking to. Um... But, like, probably, the costumes didn't help, but, like then the snarky kind of remark of saying the fountain was a sequel to it, and so forth, and it's like, well, actually, kind of mm. both those films just dare to sort of have big ideas in a way they dare to dream yeah, 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 yeah. a lot of imagination, yeah, exactly, compared and to they, the, the shite that gets churned out, compared to most days. shite there is around the place, like yeah, um mm-hmm. for me, like like the apostle, anyway, yeah, sorry, uh, what's his what's his name, Gareth Evans. For me, if I was uh, flicking through channels and I came upon Zardos again, I would watch it for a few minutes. Particularly, mm,
0: I'd if... ask myself why I'd switched on the TV for the first time in about five years.
1: Ah, ago. fair enough. Well, I mean, I'm just using, uh, I'm just using the kind of uh, rating system that critics tend to usually give things. A- Andy, right. you didn't have to. In- you fair. didn't have to Sorry. interrupt. It, was, it wasn't literal. You didn't have to interrupt me with reality. There, I'll probably. In- I did. I'll probably fair. never watch Zardos again. Good God.
0: To uh, who watch certain scenes.
1: Uh I might yeah, I might refer back to the PowerPoint about erections and how they're evil. <laughs> yeah, just did uh, it was that was educational. That's the best scene in I the did film to... though where uh, where um Con- <coughs> Connery is not getting <coughs> hard watching the softcore pornography and then just staring at Charlotte Rampling and he gets a boner. I wonder was there I got I wonder did anything make the cutting room floor of just um Sean Connery's Leotard getting tighter?
0: Yeah, probably just all the stuff that would be nowadays used in court cases against them. <laughs> <I imagined. laughs> Evidence got cut. My God. I was gonna ask you a question. Uh, did the use of uh, Beethoven's symphony number no. seven remind you of a, a TV show from last year?
1: I can't think of one, remind me. Do,
0: do, 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 do. Uh Jeremy Irons Irons is uh, Adrian Veidt in the Watchmen series. Oh, I would use that music as well and all of the uh yeah yeah and all of those scenes from Watchmen which were filmed in the Welsh countryside. Mm. I wonder if that was like if that was all homage to
1: Zardoz. I'm sure it was. I, I really mm. I really liked uh, Watchmen. That was a good show.
0: Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm.
1: All right.
0: One and done, unfortunately.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I'm trying
0: to see if there was anything
1: else. I'd be doubtful it, about that. That's it for me. I'm sure there will be another season of Watchmen.
0: No, I meant if I had anything else to say about this film, but I do not.
1: Ah, right. Well, fair
0: enough. over and ouch.
1: Indeed. All right. Well, in that case, let me take you on to our next film. So, Dime Bandits is Terry Gilliam's 1981 comedy fantasy children's film about a young English boy named Kevin. Children's film. I would say it's a children's film, wouldn't you?
0: I think they prefer to be called Little People.
1: Aye. Named Kevin, who gets uh, swept out of his suburban existence by a band of dwarves. By the way, what are we saying? We're saying dwarves, midgets, little people people bandits I, i've referred to them as bandits midgets,
0: isn't bandits okay
1: we'll call them bandits. okay by a band of bandits who happen to be little is preferable isn't it uh, really?
0: who mm, yeah, exactly happen to be little
1: well yeah yeah people who happen to be little but i mean you know it, like that's what they want to they don't even want to be called little people anymore or what do they want to be called people and that bumps us up to gods, people. which is a lot of work is that a duck Stanhope? that's the da- oh, no, it david hill David Tell, uh, yeah, okay, solid, nice, very solid. So um, it's on uh, roadwork, which is one of my favorite specials. Mm, that's a good special. Um, by a band, so he gets whisked out of his suburban existence by a band of uh, little people who work for God or the supreme being, as it's called in this. And uh, they used to work for God until they got till they ran away. Yeah, that's true. And have still doing what we? I don't think we ever find out. Uh, although they said they made trees and bushes, did they? I didn't pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a tendency to pick up on minor details that I miss out on. That's because I watch things with the subtitles on. Ah, fair enough. Um <laughs> and they've st- cuz I'm special. Um they have anyway, they've stolen God's time map and they're <laughs> they're using it. I hate when that happens. To jump between famous moments in history in order to gather booty. Uh, so, which I just love. Uh so far so Terry Gilliam what booty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I loved the idea like uh, I love the idea of just uh, people doing robbing the past just doing stuff for booty. Like, that being the end right. the end goal of it. Like, just, you know, an old sea captain... going to r- get stinking rich. R- ...rubbing his fingers together, going, booty. Like, I love that idea. Um, just, mm-hmm. like, looking for gold candlesticks and things like that. Um, yeah. It's funny. Uh, anyway, so far, so very, very, very Terry Gilliam. Although I don't know what if his, mm-hmm. his palette have been established at this point.
0: uh it would have been... Well, this is the first of the trilogy of... Imagination. He had made, as he called it.
1: Yeah, he had made. He had made a couple of films before that. Um, yeah, he had made uh, Holy Grail uh, and Jabberwocky. Jabber. Have you seen Jabberwocky? Yes, I have. It's tough going. I didn't. I have not. I didn't like it, to be honest. Um, it just felt like. What well, I mean, it, it felt like what it is. It felt like a Monty Python film without any of the Python writing in it. This Time mm. Bandits is saved by having a little of the Python writing in it, namely Michael Palin. Um, yeah, Michael Palin and Cleese getting involved. So, first of all, I, I want to ask you, uh, where do you stand on the Pythons and Gilliam in general? In general,
0: when I was a kid, I remember having, um, I had a Monty Python album, a record, like vinyl that I remember getting from like a car boot sale or something. And I remember listening to that a ton. I didn't watch a lot of the TV show. I've seen uh Life of Brian and uh, Holy Grail. I'm not a, a massive, I, I like it well enough, but it's not one of those things that, you know, because... It's not so formative for you. Pe- no, definitely not formative. I know people who it's like a religion to them. Yes. For me, I'm like, yeah, okay, I like it well enough. Mm. And what a, but I think I came around it was And what about too far
1: Gilliam and how me. his sensibilities evolved? I love Terry
0: Gilliam. I was thinking yeah. about that. I've actually seen a lot more Terry Gilliam films than most of the other directors that we cover. Really? Um yeah, cuz I've seen the trilogy of Americana. I mean, I've seen all of the this or trilogy of imagination Mm -hmm. now. I've seen Time Bandits, Brazil, Adventures of Baron von Mm Munchausen, Fisher King, 12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing. Mm -hmm. Me too. Uh, The most recent, the most recent Terry Gilliam film I watched was Tideland from 2005. And I really enjoyed that one.
1: I have not seen that. Um, So you haven't seen... He takes
0: takes the imagination of a child
1: uh, living in
0: kind of awful conditions in Texas and then gives it his usual surrealist Mm. uh, filter. And, and uh, yeah, it's a solid film. So,
1: you haven't seen the likes of The Imagination of Imaginarium New, of Dr. Parnassus, or what's the other one? Was
0: that the one that had like Heath Ledger and then they had. Yeah, to they
1: replaced him with five other Heath. actors or something. Yeah,
0: yeah that pissed me off that.
1: Um, and the, he's got a uh, zero theorem. I haven't.
0: Yeah, I didn't watch mm-hmm. that. And also I didn't watch his The Man Who Killed Don Quixote because I enjoyed the documentary that Lost Lost in La Mancha, Lost in La Mancha uh, yeah. the failed original. And I just thought, fuck it, I don't actually... Care to see the finished version? Yeah, I'm. I'm not going to
1: dance on the grave. Failure. I'm not going to uh, like watching the finished product. Feels like a fuck you to that documentary, and I enjoyed that documentary, Absolutely. so I'll stand by it. Yeah, That's good. Uh, right. So th- while this would have been like the most Gilliam yet at the time of its release, uh, I suppose there were there are enough Python elements here, like the cast, the writing, the themes, George Harrison's money, uh, to call it like mm. a Python Gilliam production. I feel like for me, Gilliam. Is a director for whom I kind of have to set myself into Gilliam mode. Uh, And and this is.
0: Everywhere has that kind of surrealist universe and uh, imagery and ideas
1: that he deals in. And it's just very much the case here. Um, Anyway, Mm. so the film begins like in the kind of gaudy set dressing that uh, Gilliam seems to excel at, uh, with like everything covered in plastic and cluttered. Kevin's parents are suburban middle-class consumers to the point of parody, and Kevin is away mm-hmm. with it. He's got uh, a big interest in history, and that we can we can see that from, he's reading from a book uh, about ancient Greece, and his father's aggressively disinterested in it, and all these drawings on his wall of knights in forests and so forth. Anyway... Then one night... It's, it's He seems to have a fairly shitty home life. Uh,
0: his parents don't really yes, care about him. I would
1: say it's a heightened reality of a shit home life. Yeah, It's like a shit home life by numbers, let's say. It's
0: from his point of view, though. Also, I feel like yeah. uh, Terry Gilliam is quite good at that, giving you the childhood
1: perspective. Mm. For some reason, it reminded me of... Um, alex's home in clockwork orange mm. um anyway so then we can we can see he has an interest in history from all that all that sort of stuff and uh, like his book in ancient greece and the pictures in his wall and then one night a uh, knight rides through his room and his bed is all of a sudden in the middle of a forest and then the knight rides away and then he's back in his room and kevin's it's magic kevin's like what the absolute f So then the next night, he uh, requests to go to bed early, pack some supplies, and lo and behold, there is magic in his room again. But next night, it's a troop of little people uh, who mistake Kevin for God initially, and they start apologizing uh, for stealing something. But then they realize it's a boy, and they beat the crap out of him and uh, whisk him away to the Napoleonic Wars in Lombardy.
0: Uh, which... yeah that's about 1 hour away from where I live. Uh
1: the, the Battle of Castiglione. Okay, south of Lake Garda. So I got to ask you how are you on your on your Napoleon?
0: Well, uh, after watching this film I googled that battle. Uh and I looked at Napoleon just to see what the current theory is about his height.
1: Uh, well, first of all, yes, yeah, point of, Napoleon wouldn't have been empire emperor at the time of that battle. Ah, uh, oops! He would have been a a, a general, a high general, but he, he had his own army, so I suppose there you go. But uh, yeah, that's one thing. <laughs> it's just a silly bugbear for me. Um, but I figure, like, I don't know, if you're going to do it, do history, do the interesting perspective. Like the fact of the matter is that Napoleon was not. Um, was not. I don't know. There, I've,
0: I read through that. There is a lot of back and forth about that. There's. They're still not clear. I have seen something that says that he possibly was five foot two. There's another thing that says he was measured. They he was measured using um, a different system, so he would have been slightly taller. What? But I, I don't know that it's hundred percent clear even still um well like I, but that also feels like incredibly pedantic and believe it is yeah i yeah, am
1: i i deal in that but that, and that's my but that's, major occurrence that's kind of what i'm getting onto and i will get onto it first of all i'm gonna ask you like how do you think kids would take to this film
0: there's elements of it that are i don't know it does it feels very kids fairy tale especially oh there's
1: a sense of adventure the, and it's totally batshit
0: But also some of the ideas that it puts forward with God and and evil Mm. and the ending feels like the ending really feels like a sort of kid's fairy tale.
1: Um, And it was like...
0: Like a rolled doll type story. It was
1: like a big enough hit to get Gilliam set up to make a few Hollywood films and he would just burn Mm. all that money on Baron Munchausen. Um, But like watching it as an adult, it's fun, I suppose, Um. And but, and but there is a, there was a thing for me, and it did start like it, pretty much from the start. Whatever it is with the way they were shooting it, a lot of it comes across as, as it's kind of shot for TV. It it almost feels like TV for me. Yeah. Did you get that?
0: Yeah, I I know what you're talking mm. about.
1: Anyway, so we hang around with Ian Holmes Napoleon for a bit, and it's nice to see Ian Holmes. Indeed, he
0: sadly passed away this year, COVID related. Compl- was it not no, COVID? I'm not. Here,
1: not. Oh, i don't think so i thought it was the collared friendo curse again no um so with in this part like every second line is a reference to napoleon's height um and despite yeah like they really went 100 percent in on that and that was his character is going oh yeah
0: yeah i wish i was taller i like, the, i wish i was a little
1: bit taller that's it I I that's it and like the thing is like i've I've read a bunch about Napoleon. I like him as a historical figure to read about. And the one thing that like he was not is exactly the way he was. He's depicted here, which is just this kind of leader who's just dismissive of everybody and just e- egocentric. And so, like, no, Napoleon was just workhorsing around, barely slept, knew like every detail of everywhere he was. You know, what I mean. So anyway, whatever. Okay, I get it. It's a Terry Gilliam film. It just kind of it bugged me a little bit. Sorry. So, anyway. It's for kids. Yes, indeed, for kids. Uh, but I don't want kids to learn about Napoleon this way. So. <laughs> well, the damage was done.
0: This was 1981.
1: Anyway, so um, Napoleon enjoys a performance by the dwarves, and he makes them his new generals and proceeds to get drunk while comparing himself to shorter conquerors than himself throughout history. Then falls asleep, mm-hmm. and they make off with a bunch of his swag and head to the Middle Ages. All right, so so in the Middle Ages, they see Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall getting robbed by Robin Hood's Merry Men. Uh, What what are Michael Palin and Shelley Duvall doing here?
0: Well, Michael Palin being co-writer and Python can do whatever the fuck he wants. uh, I thought uh, Shelley Duvall's English accent, not terrible. Yeah. I was expecting far worse. I just didn't get it. I was like, uh, whatever. They're just the kind of like comic relief characters, but I—I I mean, it was funny in 1981.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I'm guessing that's it. That's it. Um, uh, what's the, pro- what's yeah, the problem? He's referring transposed to
0: transposed across time periods. I must thought it was premature ejaculation. Maybe Do you think that's what it was?
1: Because then when they tie him up to does the, does he
0: not start? Yeah, does he not? He's like, I'm having the problem again.
1: But why is he coming when he's tied to the tree?
0: Wow, that's that's something that you'll you'll have to discover
1: about yourself oh, okay. as you move through this life fair enough i'll keep an eye out for that
0: go back to the forest where you were born
1: um, and uh, see how, <laughs> what that
0: stirs within you
1: so we hear him refer to a problem of some sort like i said yeah um and then would they get kidnapped Penic problem panic problem probably. it's uh, uh, then as um, as if we need to feel more like we're in a monty python film john cleese comes along as robin hood in a scene where playing that
0: politician robin hood
1: yeah it tells you in five seconds on why cleese is such a big star i thought he was fantastic in this Mm -hmm. just just yeah he's funny just a yeah yeah he's just just a great performer like um i i loved him in seconds and yeah politician robin hood i thought it was brilliant and uh yeah he gives all the bandits his booty to the poor and sends them on their way uh are you still with the film at this point
0: I it was fine. I actually probably liked it more after pro I think the next scene when they moved into the time of legends. I think from there to the end is the part of the film that engaged me the most okay right So more than the after the Titanic after
1: this well at this point then the plot really gets introduced so because we learn that they're being Mm -hmm. watched by because at this point up until now Mm -hmm. uh, where they're just arsing around at different points in time this is probably the material that I imagine they're going to be using for the Apple Plus TV show that they're developing of Time Bandits have you heard about this? yeah it's supposed to be pilot directed by Taika Waititi is that actually happening? Uh, as I looked it up, very like recently, just because I want to wanted to see how many irons Taika Waititi actually has in the fire, and apparently that's still going ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it does seem like it would be a good idea, but it's just Apple TV Plus seems like um, I don't know, I, like it's Apple, so there, there was there was supposed to be a sequel,
0: um, which got shelved. Mm, that's uh, that's odd because it made made a lot of money. Well, the reason for that was because David Rappaport. The guy, the, the the young man who played Randall, sadly committed suicide in 1990 at the age of 38, shooting himself in a car in Laurel Canyon Park, L.A.
1: Oh, wow. Mm. Well, so what Colin Farrell says in In
0: Bruges is true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that was my first thought, indeed.
1: Oh, we should have listened. Uh, so, ne- mm-hmm. the, the, so next we learn that they are being watched by Evil, as played by David Warner, who's just great in everything, and he's great in this. Chewing the scenery. Yeah. Uh, and in this scene, a number of things happens. Uh, yeah, so we're given our first glimpse of the film's plot, really, if there is one. Uh, and then um, Michael Michael Palin's presence as like a writing partner is felt an awful lot more clearly because there's loads and loads of Python-esque gags in here. He's giving out about things that God has done. He says, giving men nipples and all sorts of stuff like that. It's very mm. very Douglas Adams kind of sense of humor. Yeah. Um True. And then we know. Uh, well, I noticed anyway at this point the the film doesn't completely kind of flow visually, um, which in a way I'm fine with. It's just strange because um, I think Gilliam became a really really good film, but I f- think there's parts of this that are uh, just kind of shoddy filmmaking. I also get the feeling he had a budget of five million. Yeah, I also get the feeling he do- he doesn't quite care, which is you know he's perfectly entitled to as well. But there's some of it that's just kind of poorly made um, close-ups that'll cut off that top half of somebody's head almost um, and this kind of felt like we were in a Power Rangers baddies lair, which again is fine I might be putting too high a standard on Time Bandits um, but it is like delightfully ga- daft the costumes are well designed and the gags landed for me, anyway um, so like, then next thing we know, uh, they are on the Titanic is that correct? I believe so Uh no, sorry. Or was it before? No, no, no. no, no, no. Before I've, the Titanic. No, 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 no. Sean no, 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 no. We. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, uh, evil tricks the. It's weird to say evil. Let's say David Warner. David Warner tricks the bandits into how, separating how from the Kevin. Devil. I know he's evil, but and he ends up in ancient Greece, uh, becoming mates with King Agamemnon, who adopts him. Um, it's a weird kind of a father-son bromance sequence that see that seems to um. Think itself sort of resolved in the lay, in the end of the film. It's a it's a weird one though. Um, but then so Kevin is happy out taking Polaroids of Agamemnon and all sorts. Um, <laughs> ju-
0: a, don't it? Polaroids of Sean Connery. Oof.
1: Yeah, indeed, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure Sharon- Sean, Sean Connery was 50 years
0: old in this, but I think he looked younger than NZardo's. does. Indeed, yeah, uh, yeah, he looked very jar Butler.
1: I agree with you. Um, but it's it's it's. it's, it's- <laughs> It's one of the, like. I happen to be of the opinion, as I said, that I think Sean Connery is a good actor. But um, Jesus, he seems to be barely in this film. and uh, like, he's just kind of.
0: I think that's why he took the the role, though, because it was just a small supporting role, mm. and he could dick around a bit.
1: Anyway, um, so then the Kevin is would be happy to stay in ancient Greece, but then the bandits arrive. Tr- uh, they perform something and trick the greeks and Agamemnon into giving them all their loot and then they uh, disappear again whisking kevin off aboard the titanic who's less than happy about um being taken away from his new um big brother father figure sean connery which also which hints at how how shitty
0: his home life might be yeah he immediately has bonded with a father figure
1: uh, he he could just as he says he could have just as easily hung out with him forever. Uh, they interrupt mm-hmm. uh, Palin and Duval's characters in the Titanic again. His new problem seems to be with something on his nose. Um, then next the Titanic yeah. sinks as it tends to, and um, evil transports them to the time of legends where they trick an ogre who plans on eating them and then get walked to land by a giant wearing a ship they were on that got picked up. He's wearing it as like a hat and it's the film's most impressive visual sequence. It's uh, I like that. that. That was the most Terry Gilliam
0: part of the whole thing. And it was great. Think, that, by that Time of Legends thing. That
1: giant just walking along. There's one other very good sequence mm-hmm. where we'll get to uh, inside the Fortress of Ultimate Darkness, but I thought visually that, mm-hmm. that sequence was just fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's that that felt like it just went straight from Gilliam's head to the screen. You know, just mm-hmm. it was just madness. Anyway, so uh, the reason that they're in the Time of Legends at all is to get to somewhere called the Fortress of Darkness, inside of which apparently lies the most beautiful object in the universe that has ever been. Um, but and ev- when eventually and eventually they get there, and instead inside we find Jim Broadbent and Kevin's parents giving away a kitchen, and it's a trap. And the dwarves and Kevin end up losing the map to evil and suspended from the ceiling in a steel cage. But from a Polaroid that Kevin took earlier of the map, they noticed that there is a time hole or whatever that is uh, almost underneath them, so they have to swing from the cages to escape.
0: Now. And that whole cage
1: swinging sequence lasts about 10 minutes. Yes. Uh, Which is it, mad. It is, yes. Why do you think it's mad? Because it feels
0: like a massive amount. It's like that's a major scene in the film. Yes, I just don't think it's it's doesn't warrant the amount of time spent on it.
1: It's a massive miscalculation about how much we give a fuck about the peril of the characters because we know the peril yeah. is nothing. Uh, we know we're j- yeah. we're just kind of here. I was completely on board with you there. It might, and I'm like it might like it might be my everything about about that scene just bothered bothered me just just because I didn't like the way that like. The, they shot it, because, like, just one or two wide shots as well would have given us a hand in understanding what was happening. But also, yeah, it goes on for, mm, like, ten
0: minutes. Yeah, but it was very close in. We couldn't see anything else around it, so you don't know what they're trying to avoid or what they're trying to really get
1: to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think, considering some of the things that they shot in the film, I can't imagine it would have been too crazy. This is what I mean by, I don't think he was fully evolved as a filmmaker just quite yet. Um... Or, I don't know, maybe he just didn't have the money to properly swing a cage from the roof. But whatever, it went on um, for a little bit too long. A couple of more wide angles would have won me over. I realize I'm poo-pooing timed bandits a little bit. Sure, but sure, what can I do? I'm only me. Anyway, they... Um, they manage to get the map back, and then Kevin distracts Evil so the rest can escape. But Evil gets the map back again, but then the other dwarves arrive with fighters from all through history, and they take on uh, Death in a move that's equal part Knight at the Museum and Avengers Endgame. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, did you, did you see what? heavier? I say
0: heavier on the Night of the Museum than the Avengers Endgame. Well, what about the portal sequence? Okay, fair
1: enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very portal sequence, I thought. Um... But evil uh, defeats them all pretty handily. Um, before being burnt to cinders by God, or the supreme being who appears as an old man, chides the rewards for stealing the map and then gives them their old job back. Their old jobs back. Kevin hey. w- w- wakes up to find a remaining chunk of evil ash um, burning in the kitchen of his house. It burns his house down. Sean Connery is a fireman and his parents die mm-hmm.
0: and then the universe parents touch evil and then explode and
1: right and they, and then the, the supreme being of the universe rolls up a map and that's the end. All right, so I got so what is Sean Connery doing there? Is that supposed to mean something? Or is it is it Yeah, the go on. It all happened.
0: Okay. But then why is it I don't know because the supreme being obviously placed Sean Connery here.
1: I mean, you're drawing a few lines there.
0: While I choose to believe that this time bandits world all exists, the I mean I'm guessing that Terry Gilliam is an atheist from mm. his body of work, and him and Michael Palin both. I'm guessing that this was their view is, and I think is reflected in some of you know, some of the rest of their work is that they have a very a fairly negative take on religion and God's involvement. And in uh, being kind of overseeing the world, allowing bad things to happen,
1: I got another one for you. So, then, um, so Kevin's parents die, <laughs> they explode. In fact, um, mm-hmm. what did you make of that as a move for the story?
0: Didn't bother me because I, I s- it, saw it that didn't bother me either as like a downer, a downer ending, but to me, it didn't feel like I mean, he tries to warn them before they explode themselves so clearly he <laughs> he's still invested <laughs> but i also like I've, they just are they're caricatures anyway uh yeah it yeah. didn't feel like grounded characters no so no
1: no it didn't it did, like I, it's I like it's just destroying a cartoon character well it just it just seems strange because it's like okay uh do you know the ending of roald Dahl's book the witches
0: that's exactly what came to mind yeah, yeah. for me. So th- that's why I was referencing Roald Dahl before.
1: They end up as um, he he ends up as a mouse for the remainder of the story, and that's fine. Um, but like I thought, if they have Sean, they have Sean Connery as a fireman, they. they, uh, they why not just? I don't know. It seemed like they come and live with me, Sean. It seemed like they opened up an arc with Agamemnon that they could have easily closed off, and he could have lived with Agamemnon forever. And then the parents don't blow up in a weird way. I just thought it was just a odd. Well, it was an odd choice, personally.
0: When you find your map to the universe, you can go back in time and alter the film's ending.
1: What I have a theory on it. You see, this is my, okay. my, my theory on it. I. The, uh, the original ending that, uh, well, the original ending, the ending that I just said to you there, I have a feeling that that might've been something that they wanted. That might've been something that they shot, ended up not being able to use and just said, okay, she so will kill the parents and have to- Sean Connery in at the end as a fireman. um Yeah, that makes sense. I, I like, cause it's, it's just such a bananas way to end the film. Um, because it like, fair enough, his parents were just categor- uh, uh, caricatures, but then <laughs> he's just essentially an orphan at the end. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's an orphan and they' like, anyway um but it's I mean it's a fairy tale mm,
0: so I don't think you need to treat it so se- it's not that serious
1: okay, okay okay i
0: I understand that it's a strange move but it's also as I say it's a fairy tale
1: um I've also I also felt that like Joe Cornish's films very much pick up where Gilliam's left off in in this particular trilogy. I feel like Joe Cornish is all about this kind of tone. Um, I've only seen Attack the Block. I
0: haven't seen uh, the Kids Who Would Be King. It's good.
1: Do you like Attack the Block? Yeah, I liked it, but I find the characters quite irritating. I've actually watched it a couple of times since. I really, I have a lot of time for. If I rewatch it, I'm sure I would like it more. Um, uh, you've seen both Brazil and Munchausen. I have. How d- yeah, I really like Brazil. How does this stack up against those
0: two? I think Brazil. Well, so supposedly they were shot to represent like three different stages um so all three films focus on the struggles and attempts to escape uh through imagination so time bandits through the eyes of a child brazil through the eyes of a man in his 30s and munchausen through the eyes of an elderly man i just think brazil is more effective i mean it's got the super downer ending as well but uh i just i prefer brazil
1: well yeah but I, th- I think brazil is a great film but it doesn't quite strike mm. me as a work about imagination. Well, that's what Terry Gilliam says. Yeah, no, no, no. I know it is, but I just don't. I like. I. I feel like the well, the, I, the, the I, I main mean, the main connective tissue for me is in their visual palettes, um, and I, right. I, I feel Munchausen is is like very much a, a spiritual sequel to Time Bandits for sure. Um, yes, they have a very similar style. Um, in that they're kind of just ponderous and vignette, Like mm-hmm. one thing about Munchausen, uh, like I, I watched it once uh, immediately, knowing that oh yeah. god, I'm never going to watch this again. But uh,
0: <laughs> but like, Munch, I actually saw that in the cinema. When
1: I was a kid, uh, which is weird because I still remember a lot of the imagery. Like when you're particularly watching something like Munchausen, I mean, is it any wonder Gilliam became such a pariah in Hollywood? Because it's so, like, you can see, like, all the money's on the screen in Munchausen. Like, all the money is on the screen in Time Bandits, and you can see that they kind of ran out of money at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, Munchausen was made for a lot of money. All the money is up there, and it's just a mad story that would have fit into no kind of, I don't know... Marketing diagrams or anything as to what the the kind of thing that people want to see is. But Gilliam gives people what he what he wants to see more than anything. Like you know, I mean, I haven't seen all of it, which is
0: fair enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's absolutely not for a money making perspective. No, exactly. It's no wonder (laughs) that he's such a pariah around Hollywood. Good God. Um, Well, what's your favorite Terry Gilliam film? I mean, it's it's got to be um, it's got to be Brazil, Twelve
0: Monkeys. Really, I go Twelve Monkeys over Brazil. I like Brazil a lot, mm. but Twelve Monkeys to me is was always one of my favorite films.
1: I know. I would. I would uh, be firmly in the Brazil camp on that one. I, I am, but like that said, I haven't uh, revisited uh, Twelve Monkeys in a long time. Have you ever watched the 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 French um, film that uh, Twelve Monkeys is based on? La, 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 La Jet yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, the Chris Marker thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Except it's black and white still photography.
1: Indeed. Yeah. So like. W-
0: this w- it's also only about 25 minutes long, I think. It's,
1: it's about 30, yeah. Um, but this, is, like, this is where I would land between the two. I th- I feel like... Um, some z- annoying leaf-blowing cunt outside. Sorry, continue. Time Bandits kind of aspires to just absolute madness, and they, that's where the film ends up in terms of its idea. But I feel like um, z- Zardos is like idea led and i mean whatever madness follows because of a low budget so be it um but the big idea just wouldn't won't compromise in the end in the end i just feel like both films this week are just very interesting films that i'm kind of glad people got to make because they did both seem completely uncompromised i would say and that's a good thing
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i'd agree
1: with that all right so
0: All right, I think we're done.
1: Yeah, what do you got up uh, for the chopping block for next week? I do not have a coin, but I believe it's your week to toss anyway.
0: Okay, so my film for this week. Yeah, this week I decided to go for a film from one of the greats uh, that I just haven't haven't got around to seeing yet, which is Martin Scorsese's 1985 movie, After Hours. I know basically nothing about it, but it is Scorsese, so legally I have to watch it.
1: I've seen it. I remember enjoying it. I have not seen it in Mm -hmm. years, and I would look forward to seeing it again. Um, In a a way, for maybe the second week in a row, I kind of hope you win, Andy. However... (laughs) I don't think it will Uh, no you might Uh, who knows no I've been looking forward to watching my own film for a long time uh, as well anyway but it has the slight disadvantage of being 160 minutes long so let's hope you win I saw that I saw that Uh, right. uh, the one that I'm going for is uh, Mike Lee's 1999 musical period drama film Topsy Turvy about Gilbert and Sullivan
0: I remember when that came out but I never made any Attempt to watch it. Do you um, enjoy Mike Lee films? Here's the thing: I haven't seen many Mike Lee films. I vaguely remember having watched uh, Naked and uh, Secrets and Lies. Prepare, when I was young, when I was a teenager,
1: prepare for me to come across like a giant wanker. But uh, yeah, I,
0: I get the feeling that you really like Mike Lee. Well, and
1: I, can, I, I can line tell. I line them up like because I've read I've read a couple of books by Dostoevsky. And both times I had the books in my house for ages, and I was just intimidated looking at them going, oh, God, I'm so dumb. What the hell? And then whenever I got around to them, I was like, oh, wow, these are really good. I can understand why people like these so much. And I think Mike Lee is the same thing, to be honest. It's just because he's such a big deal, he intimidates me out of watching Mm. his films. But I've enjoyed every single one I watched a lot.
0: I get that. I feel the same thing with Peyton Reed and the Ant-Man films the, as we've discussed do you
1: know the the name of uh, the third Ant-Man outing? Uh Ant-Man and the
0: recycled shit.
1: No, I believe it's called a uh, Multi-Madness. No, 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 mm. no, 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 no. Quantumania, that's what it's called. Quantumania Ant-Man Quantumania. Qua- qua- okay. Quantumania. Yeah, they're getting oh, they're getting quantum baby with the next one. Okay, you got a coin ready? Is it is it still is it still Peyton Reed? It is still Peyton Reed and then after that he is doing Wait for it, wait for it. The Fantastic Four film. No, that no, it? that's John Watts. Oh, Sorry. No, can John Watts. Really? Will d- John Watts is named Fantastic yeah, Four? that's right. I can't you believe did you did... four
0: millionth in... Did you iteration of Fantastic Four? Did
1: you not pay attention to the Disney no, investors I haven't call? At any
0: of the Marvel? No. No, I didn't pay attention to any of the reveals
1: um, because Have you uh, We can't even watch. We can't even watch Black Widow at this point. Did you watch um, I'm going to go see Wonder Woman later today. Uh did you Oh, well I can't do that. So I'll be watching it when it, it finally comes out to HBO uh-huh. Have you uh, have you seen the Josh Trank Fantastic Four? No because uh, it, it's supposed to be shit. It's supposed to be shit. I have not watched it. And actually, after being bitten by finally getting around to watching Chronicles of Riddick, I'm willing to believe widespread col- yes, uh, I, critical I, opinion. I will trust people's <laughs> opinions. Yeah, I'm going to take that, I think. All right. Also, I think Josh Trank has said his shit, so. Has has said it's shit. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, what are your my choices
0: are 20 or lady. European lady or 20? Lady, every time. Okay, here we go. Oh, it's flipped many times it is lady oh what congratulations oh
1: my god 160 minutes are you kidding me
0: fucking hell <laughs> at least it's over the christmas period i have time all right I, I can watch it in little 10 minute increments
1: i'm actually sure it's going to be very good anyway so so there i'm
0: not so sure it's uh an adaptation of the mikado or it's their like their the the play within the film is that i don't know i don't know
1: all right whatever And what what have you got to respond to me? So my companion piece
0: is Peyton Reed's Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now, so I wanted to choose another Mike Lee film, but I wasn't sure which one to go for. In the end, I opted for another Oscar-nominated film, this time from 2004, Vera Drake. Oh, very nice. I haven't seen that. Mainly because I'd like... You, I'd like to force you to weigh in on the topic of abortion. I feel like we should both. I think we're both authorities
1: on what women should do with their bodies. So <laughs> it's about it time. It's about time the caller yeah. friend of it's podcast had something to say about <laughs> that. We've hid in the shadows we for n- too we long. Need, we need to define. <laughs> we need to publicly define our position on abortion. Oh yeah, yeah, As yeah. It yeah, it, yeah. Uh,
0: we need to take a united front.
1: And I'm just looking that up now. Right and there. Vera Drake is 125 minutes. So we've got. 285 minutes of Mike Lee sponsored fun coming up in the next week
0: <sighs> yeah okay and now please can we have the this is what you could have won what could have gone along with the 97 minute after hours
1: uh, I would have gone with oh, I'll tell you the length of it now is one here I would have gone with the 107 minute long one from the heart uh, Francis Ford Cop- what's that Francis Ford Coppola's oh, 1982 yeah. musical music written by Tom Waits and um, Pretty much oh, yeah. detonated uh, the fuse that uh, apocalypse now had begun for Coppola's career. It lost a lot of money, yeah, where well, he turned into quite a fiasco. A shit, director, indeed. Yes. Well, why do you not like uh, Dracula? Even
0: uh, there was a quote for what's a, what the, I, I was reading some of the bad lines from Dracula the other day. I know where
1: the bastard the, uh, sleeps.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that one. It's a classic. I think you've uh, mentioned that one on the podcast before, but there are some hilarious line readings.
1: You've a very passive aggressive way of saying I'm repeating myself there, Andy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I have to edit these. I think you've said that before on the podcast. Oh, that, was, that was my Andy impression. <laughs> I hope you liked it.
0: But, sir.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, that finishes up for this Is that week? the energy I bring? Uh, yeah. N- I, I think so. All All right, that's it. I'm going to press stop.